All right, cool. Hey, meet me this morning in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 in the Old Testament. And today we're going to conclude a little two-part mini-series called God Will Give You More Than You Can Handle. And you might hear that title, and if you weren't here last week, I want to take a moment just to explain it to you real quick because there's some context. You know, all of us probably in life, maybe even right now, we know how it feels to be overwhelmed sometimes. Anybody raise a hand, let me know, hey, I'm not the only one who can sometimes feel overwhelmed. It's funny, sometimes we can get overwhelmed because of the accumulation of things that happen in life, or sometimes something big can just fall in our lap, and it can absolutely overwhelm us. I think it's good to know that there are figures throughout Scripture who walk through seasons similar to ours, sometimes things that we couldn't even imagine, that were bigger than them. Here's the good news. God doesn't want you to carry the thing that you're carrying by yourself. And sometimes we get overwhelmed for a list of different reasons. Sometimes God will call us to do something really, really big that feels bigger than us. And we're going to talk about that today. But sometimes the reason we get overwhelmed is because of the results of the decisions that we have made. Anybody else with me? Please tell me. I'm not alone in that. Sometimes we make decisions that have consequences and the results are heavy and we got to carry it. But the good news is that God is gracious. But then, as I said, there are times where God will call us to something that feels bigger than us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And if you were here last week, we talked about a man named Joseph who was the earthly father figure of Jesus in the New Testament. God called some, Joseph to something that was way bigger than him. But God was there to grace him for the thing he called him to do. And I want to say to everybody in the house this morning, if you feel as though God has called you to something that is bigger than you, God didn't give you something big and heavy to crush you or to weigh you down. Instead, he wants to show you his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. He doesn't want you to carry it alone. If God has called you to it, he's going to see you through it. Can somebody say amen? All right, so with that said, we're going to talk about a really significant figure in the Old Testament this morning, and that's a man named King Solomon. If you know much about Solomon, there are things that he was known for, and Scripture actually gives us a big, big picture of his life, almost all of it in its entirety. And what's cool about that is when we look at the life of Joseph that we talked about last week, we only see a very small picture in Joseph's life. We don't even know kind of the end of his story. He's not at the crucifixion scene. But when it comes to Solomon, man, we see so much of his life, including his greatest successes and even his greatest failures. And the story that we're going to read today is a picture of King Solomon stepping in to the kingship over the nation of Israel. And what you need to know at the outset of the message is that the time that Solomon became king over Israel, it's believed that he was about 20 years old. So he was a young man stepping into something very heavy. So let's talk about this. When we think of King Solomon, we think of great wisdom, great wealth, and great honor. Scripture paints a really big picture of all of those things being a part of Solomon's life. But when you read the entirety of his life story in Scripture, you see a man who had great success and equally great failures. And the very thought of being crowned as a king is the kind of life that I think most of us would probably sign up for. Because we like the idea of having power and authority and status and recognition and even wealth. The list goes on and on of the amazing privileges that come along with being a king. And in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 22, another passage that we don't have time to get into this morning, but God promised David in 1 Chronicles 22 that he would have a son who would give Israel rest from their enemies and preside over a peaceful time or a long extended season 
of peace. And all that sounds really nice, especially when you're the person who's going to be king. In fact, God even told David that his son's name would be Solomon, which means peaceful. If you go back and look at it in the original language in the Hebrew, Solomon's name is actually Shalomo, which comes from the word Shalom, meaning peace. So his very identity and calling was this picture of peace and the nation having rest from their enemies. But listen, just because God promised peace did not mean that Solomon would not have to fight a few fights in order to obtain it. And I've heard it said in life that there are two kinds of people. There are peacekeepers where the people, when there's peace, we'll do anything to keep it. Just don't, don't make me fight. Don't make me go to war. I want everything to be tranquil. And then there are peacemakers. And the difference between the two is that a peacemaker is willing to fight in order to have peace. And I think all of us like the idea of having peaceful and prosperous times. But listen, sometimes peace is something that you have to fight for. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit this morning and look at a couple of pictures in King Solomon's life. But Something that you have to understand, and this is so important, we talked about how Solomon was known for his wisdom, his wealth, and his great honor. We think about that primarily. And when he assumed the throne over Israel, wow, what a position of power he was stepping into. And all these great things that came along with the way we remember him are true, but you also need to understand that when Solomon became king over Israel, he inherited some really challenging circumstances. And again, we don't have time to point out all of them in scripture, but let me just give you a quick narrative of the circumstances that Solomon stepped into. First of all, before Solomon became king, two of his brothers had first stepped out on their own father to try and take power for themselves. First, Absalom, his, his first brother that stepped out, went against David, his father, and nearly divided the loyalty of the nation between them until Absalom was eventually killed for his rebellion. So there's some family issues here. Not only that, but then his brother Adonijah stepped out and pronounced himself king before David had actually announced who his successor would be. And immediately after being anointed king, one of Solomon's first acts was to have Adonijah killed for the problems that he had created. The family issues get deeper. Absalom, Adonijah, and Solomon were all three sons of King David, yet each had a different mother, meaning that while David was a man after God's own heart, he was also a man after many different women. In other words, Solomon wasn't just inheriting his father's kingdom. He was inher inheriting all of his family's dysfunction. Somebody's like, that sounds like my life. <laughs> and as if all of that was not enough, listen to this. Before King David passed away, he made it clear to Solomon that he needed him to handle some of his unfinished business. I got some stuff for you to do before you go and just assume power here and become king. Namely, putting to death his cousin Joab, Solomon's cousin Joab, who was the commander of David's armies, and then by executing a man named Shimei, who had put a curse on David. And even though David said that he would not harm Shimei, he made it clear to Solomon that he wanted Shimei to die a violent death. Imagine if your dad put all of that on you. What a mess. It wasn't going to be easy for Solomon. And all of this was asked of Solomon before he even got to tend to the needs of the nation that he was called to serve. And I think it's safe to say that Solomon probably felt overwhelmed. And I've had it on my heart for the last few days to talk to people who might be walking through a season right now where you just feel overwhelmed. I, I, I kept thinking about this, and I didn't say this in first service. 
Pastor Gary, my dad, his, his father, my grandfather, his name was Howard Martin. He was an old school redneck from the backwoods of Oklahoma. If you could have heard him talk, you would have laughed because you wouldn't have understood half of what he had to say. But the point is, my grandfather, we called him Poppy, and we had all these poppyisms. My dad has a list of poppyisms in his phone of silly things that my grandfather used to say. And I, growing up, I heard these things all the time. And one of the things that he used to say, and I, I kind of remember the first time he ever said this, he said, Zach, if you, ever, if you had all the feathers you could carry, could you carry one more feather? And, you know, it was just a silly poppyism and a silly question. I'm like, what? If you had all the feathers you could carry, could you carry one more feather? And I'm thinking, we're talking about feathers here. Sure. And he goes, no, you couldn't, dummy, because you already had all the feathers you could carry. <laughs> and when he called me dummy, like my brother and I, we thought it was funny. We didn't take it personally because he was a funny guy. But I remember that as I was putting this message together because it occurred to me that when we get overwhelmed in life, we don't need someone to just drop like a cinder block on top of what we're already carrying. Sometimes it can be something as light as a feather as one more thing put on top of what we're already doing and we immediately feel overwhelmed. Don't give me anything else. I can't deal with anything else. And I think it's important that we understand that when Solomon steps into this incredibly important role, he wasn't just walking, to a free, walking into a free and easy situation. He had a lot of junk to deal with. And he probably felt overwhelmed. So look at what happens next. Very famous story where Solomon has an encounter with God at the outset of his kingship. Look at this, 1 Kings 3 and verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon, talking about Solomon, to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. There's a lot of context to the high place and sacrifices, but we don't have time to get into all that. And so Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Notice again, he offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar, an extravagant sacrifice of worship and praise unto God. Now look at verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. So he's camped out there. He's staying in the place where he's offered these sacrifices in the high place. And suddenly the Lord comes to him in a dream by night. And it says, and God said, watch this, ask Solomon, what shall I give you? Now, I think many of you, you know this story the same way that I do, but I got to be honest. There's that Sunday school kid inside of me who still remembers the first time that I heard this story and thinking about the very idea of God coming to me and say, go ahead, ask for it. I'll give it to you, whatever you want. And I put myself in Solomon's shoes. Let's stop right here for a moment and ponder that because many of us might be familiar with this story, but this is the account of God coming to King Solomon in a dream. And it wasn't unique for God to come to someone in a dream. In fact, we see it throughout Scripture. And last week, we talked about how God did that three times with Joseph, the father figure of Jesus. But what does make this story unique is that in the dream, God comes to Solomon, and rather than asking something of Solomon, he tells Solomon to ask something of him. Interesting. He doesn't task Solomon with something. He says, go ahead and ask me what you need. Tell me what you need, and I'll do it. I'll give it to you. And this is one of those stories in the Bible where we read it and we say, man, I sure wish God would come and do something like that for me. Because we all look at our circumstances, we look at our situations, and we think, how cool would it be if I laid down tonight and put my head on that pillow, and God came to me in a dream in a very real way and said, go ahead, ask, I'll do it. Whatever you want, whatever you need, just go ahead and ask. You see, when we read this story about Solomon's dream, it's as if God, for one fleeting moment, and stay with me for a minute, and I'm not trying to be smart when I say this, hear my heart, 
It's as if God, for one fleeting moment, turns into the genie in a bottle, happy to grant one wish to a very lucky contestant. And that's kind of how we see this story. Like Solomon was the lucky guy of all the places where God appeared and said, hey, Solomon, tell me what you need because I'll do the one thing. Whatever you ask, go ahead and say it. I'll be your genie in a bottle for this one moment. We can easily see the story that way. And we read this account and immediately our imagination begins to run wild with ideas of what we might ask God for should God ever come to us and ask that question. But remember, God is coming to Solomon because he's in an overwhelming situation. And Solomon needs help. So let's talk a little bit about what we do when we're overwhelmed and how we approach God. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thought I want to give you. Number one, when life gets overwhelming, we need to know God is near, God is aware, and God is willing. God is near, God is aware, and God is willing. And I sure want to emphasize that word willing. God is willing to not only hear our prayers, but God is willing to get involved. Now, stay with me for a moment. Notice that after Solomon offers sacrifices to the Lord, it's a picture of Solomon coming to God, then God comes to him in a dream. See, we usually read this story thinking that suddenly, out of the blue, out of nowhere, Solomon was the lucky guy that God said, I'm going to go talk to him and I'm going to grant him one wish. But that's not the picture we see. Solomon comes to God, offers sacrifices, then God comes to Solomon in a dream. Notice the, 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 the reflection that happens in scripturally speaking here. In Matthew chapter 7, what does Jesus say? Ask, seek, and knock. If you ask, it will be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open to you. It wasn't that God randomly came to Solomon. No, Solomon first went to God. James chapter 4, we're going to focus on James chapter 4 two or three times today. It says in James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In other words, God doesn't just show up out of nowhere. Sometimes he might do that, but when we draw near to him first, he responds to us. And we can't see this as a moment where God just suddenly appeared because Solomon wasn't asking for it. No, God saw Solomon's heart when he offered these sacrifices. And when you read this passage, it's easy for us to see the story like it was Solomon's lucky day. All of us could only hope to be as lucky as Solomon and have God come to us, granting us one wish. When many of us find ourselves overwhelmed or in moments of distress, it's amazing how often we will isolate ourselves, assuming that God doesn't care about our predicament and that his getting involved would be the equivalent of having a genie grant us one wish. And sometimes we see God that way, not recognizing that we have a flawed perspective on how God wants to be involved in our lives. Can I say to you again this morning, God sees, God's aware, and God is willing to get involved in the situations of your life. He's not distant, far off, saying, figure it out. Glad you gave your heart to me a few years ago. See you in heaven. No, God's saying, I want to be involved. Come to me, and I will come to you. Now, let me make this really clear so that we have some correct theology on this. God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not a slot machine where we pull the lever and hope that we hit the jackpot. God is not a lottery ticket where the more money we throw at it, the better odds we have of getting a great return. No, that's not who our God is. But why is it that we seem to think that God wouldn't be willing to grant us a wish if we brought our request to him? Why do we see God as far off? Why do we see God as distant? Why do we see ourselves as lucky if God wanted to get involved? No, we have access to the very throne of God. Solomon understood, I can bring a sacrifice of praise, invite God into my life. And what happened? God showed up and granted him the thing that he needed. 
And we have to understand that God isn't distant and careless about what's happening in our lives. God sees, God is aware, and God is willing to get involved. Amen? Scripture makes it clear that God answers our prayers. So when life gets overwhelming, don't run away from God. Run to God because God is near, God is aware, and God is willing. Look at verse 6. And Solomon, King Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son. Notice these words. You have given him, my father, David, a son to sit on this throne as it is this day. Now look at the picture that Solomon sees. He understands that the thing he has is not about him. It was started by God, given to his father, and now he is in this position. So here's the second thought I want to give you. Number two, when life gets overwhelming, zoom out and see the bigger picture. When life gets overwhelming, zoom out and see the bigger picture. Man, I will never forget sitting with a young adult who was visiting us last year from the other side of the world. We were sitting at a local coffee shop talking this one day, and he was going through some stuff. He was making some choices that he knew were not the right choices. He knew that he was making decisions that were putting his life on the wrong path. And I looked at him that day, and I was like, dude, you're the only person who doesn't see the direction that your path is heading. And I told him, I was like, right now, the best thing that you could possibly do is get the drone view of your life. Like, go up 300 feet and take a look at the direction that your path is on right now. And sometimes when we're young, we don't see it. But sometimes in life, we get surrounded by circumstances, even though we know we're on the right path, and we allow the trees to keep us from seeing the forest, if you know what I mean. We've all heard that phrase, don't miss the forest for the trees. It's amazing how often the circumstances of life can be like these two big shade trees that cloud us and shade us from seeing the bigger picture that God is calling us to. But I love the words of Solomon and the way that he lays all of this out because everything about this shows what Solomon was dealing with. In light of what he was dealing with, it would have been so easy for him to harbor anger toward his father. Why do I gotta deal with all the stuff you left behind, dad? And it would have been easy for him to harbor anger toward God to be put in a tough position before he even becomes a true king. But Solomon understood that while he was in a tough spot, he was also in a really, really good spot. His brothers wanted to be king, but God didn't choose them. God chose him. That's a pretty good spot to be in. His father might have saddled him with some of his unfinished business, but he also left him a throne to sit upon. That's a pretty good spot to be in also. And any time that we find our vision for tomorrow being clouded by the circumstances of today, we have to zoom out and see the bigger picture. Don't allow yourself to miss the forest God has called you to for the trees that you happen to be sitting under right now. Zoom out and see the bigger picture. I'll tell you a quick story about this. (laughs) I remember I was probably 25, I think 24, 25 years old, and this building was being built Pastor Gary, my dad, was one of the staff pastors here at the church, and I was, you know, I guess the year would have been about 2005. He was kind of like the liaison on staff between the contractors and the county and all this with our senior pastor, Pastor Roger. And so I remember my dad on a day off one time during the week, he was like, hey, let's go down and check out the building project. And I said, okay. And at that time in my life, I still wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know if God was really calling me to ministry. I had a really bad job. I had no real career path, no money in my pocket whatsoever. And it was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had a friend who reached out to me and said, hey, I got an opportunity for you if you're interested. And I said, what is it? 
And he said, well, I got a friend that runs a, a pretty successful construction business, and if you want to go work for him, he can make you an apprentice, and then you can get into the iron workers union. Now, that might sound really funny to some of you because you guys are like, you, an iron worker, and you're totally right. But here's the point. I came down here, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and we were walking through this property. The roof had not been put overhead just yet. There was a lot of unfinished work around here. They had put in all the concrete back there in the stadium seating. So we're walking through. He's showing me around, and it just so happened on the day that we came, there was a crane out front that was hanging over the top of the building, and it was dropping sheet metal down on top of the beams running across the, the roof of this place. And there are these dudes that are walking across the beams, and they're like, you know, harnessed on so that they don't fall off. And I'm watching what they're doing with amazement because they're way up there doing this work. And the crane drops the sheet metal down, and these guys are like hammering away at it while they're standing on a beam. They're kicking pieces into place. I mean, they're doing this as if they've done this over and over again. And the whole time I'm freaking out because I'm like, one of these dudes is about to fall to his death, and I'm going to see it with my own eyes. And I was like, those guys are crazy. And my dad looks at me and says, yeah, those iron workers are something else. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what iron workers do? <laughs> but here's what's cool about it. The, I'm not, I, I mean, before God, I'm telling you this is honest to God truth. The very moment that that happened, I was standing right here. <laughs> and I look at it and I'm like, there's no way I'm cut out to do that. And I still wasn't quite sure I was cut out to do this. Now, again, not making this about me, but sometimes God will bring us to these moments where we can get overwhelmed with our circumstances and what's going on around us. And if we will zoom out and see the bigger picture, we'll see that he's already preparing a new path. We can't allow the forest to be crowded by the two trees we happen to be standing under. Don't get overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. If you feel overwhelmed, zoom out and let God show you the bigger picture. When ministry gets difficult, it's a privilege to build God's kingdom. Thank you, God, that I get to do this. Zoom out and see the bigger picture. When parenting gets difficult, it's a privilege to have these kids that call me mom or call me dad. Thank you, God, for entrusting me with these children. When running a business gets difficult, God, I'm so grateful that I get to work for myself. Thank you, God, for providing for me. When working your job gets difficult, God, I'm so grateful that you gave me this job. You provided me this job, so I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, believing that you will open up greater opportunities. When marriage gets difficult, remind yourself, this is the spouse that I prayed for. <laughs> Pastor Gary right now would say, oh boy, your spouse, I'm not going to say that. You guys can work it out later. But listen, when things get tough, this is the spouse I prayed for. I got married when I was 30, y'all. This is the spouse I waited for. God, thank you for, thank you for giving me this person to love for the rest of my life. Thank you for answering my prayer. Even when it's difficult, I gotta go back, zoom out, see the bigger picture. Let me tell you something. Our families, our careers, our jobs, our marriages, they are a part of God's kingdom purposes. They're not just about us. They're bigger than us. They're a part of God's kingdom purposes. And if right now there are things happening in any one of those areas of your life, zoom out and see the bigger picture. Amen? Amen. All right, we've got to keep going. Number, or excuse me, verse 7. Watch what happens next in this interaction with God and Solomon. Solomon says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. In other words, I'm now surpassing him. And look at these words. But I am a little child. Don't hear many 20-year-olds admit that anymore. 
but I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. We'll talk about what those words mean in just a moment. Verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. There's a third thought I want to share with you if you're taking notes. Number three, when life gets overwhelming, God helps the humble. When life gets overwhelming, God helps the humble. Notice Solomon's words. This is so cool. And actually, let me, just, let me say this first. James 4 says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. That's one of our staff values that's about to go up on the wall in our offices. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Solomon was very much aware of his inexperience and his inabilities. Notice the words he spoke. Watch this. Solomon said, Lord, I don't know how to go out or how to come in. And those are words that might not mean much to us, but they have two very significant contexts. Number one, it speaks of shepherds. Shepherds who would take the flock out. They are the leader of the flock to go and find pasture and then come home safely. A picture of work, a picture of leadership. But not only that, it's also a picture of a king who was the leader of the armies who would go out and conquer and bring back the spoils. And what's Solomon saying? He's like, God, I've never done this before. I didn't even ask for it. I didn't sign up for this in the first place, but like when I got anointed to do this, I knew God was in it, so here I am. But look, I'm inexperienced, and this whole thing is bigger than me. But then he says something else that's so important. He says, I'm in the midst of your people. Whose people? Not my people. God, I'm in the midst of your people, a great multitude, too great to be counted. And you look at these two statements and it's clear that Solomon understood he, didn't, he hadn't just been given a position of great power, he was given a lot of responsibility. But again, James chapter 4 says that when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. And I love that picture, and I'll tell you why. Because I see Solomon as he's stepping into kingship thinking, I'm going to have to speak to this nation of people. I'm going to have to be their strong leader. I'm going to have to be the one that they put their trust in. But right now, I'm young. I'm inexperienced. I kind of don't know what to do. And so he probably thought, the worst thing I could do is lift myself up because the people are going to see right through that. What does the, the scripture show us? It shows us that rather than lifting himself up in front of people, he humbles himself before God. When life gets overwhelming, be slow to lift yourself up in front of people and be quick to humble yourself before God. Why? Because when we humble ourselves before God, the promise is that God will lift us up. You don't feel strong enough. You don't feel experienced enough. You don't feel good enough. You don't feel smart enough. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You won't have to lift yourself up in front of people. God will lift you up and equip you for everything he's called you to do. Man, what a beautiful picture that is. Now, with all that said, here's where we're going to conclude this morning. In closing, I want to go back to where we started because, remember, before all of this part of the conversation and this dream takes place, God asked Solomon a question. He said, Solomon, go ahead, ask me for what you need, and I will give it to you. If you keep reading on in the scripture here, we see what Solomon's answer is. Look at this in verse 9. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart. Everybody say understanding. 
Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Not mine. This great people of yours. So he recognizes God is entrusting him with something that's bigger than him. It's not his possession. It's God's. He's simply a steward. Now watch this, verse 10. This speech pleased the Lord. That word literally means that God was satisfied with what Solomon said, that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for life for yourself, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for, asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Such important words, meaning he wanted to do just by God's people. He wanted to do right by them. Behold, I have done according to your words. And see, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And the thought that I want to share with you as we get to the end of this is simply this. God is pleased when we pursue his purposes over our passions. Sometimes walking with God means I sacrifice my passions for the sake of picking up God's purposes. We use our imagination and ask the question, man, you could have asked him for anything. And he asked him for understanding. Because Solomon understood that God's purposes were more important than his passions. And these verses show us that Solomon understood his position was not about his power. His position was about God's people. And Solomon recognized that if he wanted to do right by God's people in God's sight, he would need God's wisdom to do it. So finally, the question I want to ask you today, what if God came to you tonight and said, go ahead, ask me for anything, and I'll give it to you? What would you ask for? Man, the imagination goes wild. If it was me, what, honestly, the desires of my heart, the passions deep inside of me, what would I ask God for if he made that request available to me? Where would my heart go? Where would my mind go? Maybe you would have asked for money or wealth. I would kind of understand that. Maybe you would have asked for fame. Maybe you would ask for honor. Maybe you would ask for great privilege and comfort in this life. But it's interesting that Solomon didn't ask for wealth or honor or fame. Follow me here for just a minute because I'm not saying this at all to be disrespectful to his father, but follow me for a minute. King David was a great man. He was a man after God's own heart. It's interesting that Solomon didn't ask for wealth or honor or fame or power or privilege because Solomon grew up with wealth honor, fame, and with power, and with privilege. He grew up in the king's palace. He knew what it was like to already have all of those things. See, I think Solomon understood that my father had incredible wealth, but it didn't fix our family issues. Look at the mess I gotta clean up still. Look at the stuff my dad literally said, I didn't finish this, I need you to take care of it. Look what happened to my brothers. I think Solomon understood that my father gave my family honor and fame, but it wasn't good enough for my two brothers because they each tried to destroy everything my father had worked for. He understood that fame and honor didn't fix the problem. It wasn't what life was all about. 
I think Solomon understood that my father had power and privilege, so much so that he stole my mother from her husband, had an adulterous affair with her, and then sent him back to die on the front lines of a battlefield. Wealth, fame, recognition, honor, power, privilege, none of those things are the things that our life is all about. Solomon understood that God had tasked him and entrusted him with something that was way, way bigger than himself. So we didn't ask God for wealth or power or privilege or fame or recognition or honor or any of those things. He looks at God and says, this is overwhelming. And none of those things are going to fix the problem. Will you please just give me an understanding heart so that I know what to do each step of the way? What's so cool about this is that when you actually look at what Solomon said in the original writings, we know Solomon is a man of wisdom. I mean, he wrote the Proverbs. But the word that's in the original writings isn't the word wisdom. He didn't ask God for wisdom. He asked God for understanding. And the reason that's important is because in the Hebrew, in the original writings, that word is the word shama. And it doesn't, what it literally means is it, mean, it doesn't mean to be smarter. It means to listen and obey. And see, when we pray a prayer of understanding to God, what we're not saying is, God, make me smarter. What we're saying is, God, help me hear you better. And there are so many things that we look to thinking they're going to solve all of our problems. Solomon understood, I've already experienced all that stuff, and it doesn't solve the problem. I'm still overwhelmed. God, I need your wisdom. I need your understanding because this is all way bigger than me. I wouldn't have asked for all of these responsibilities. Yeah, being a king sounds amazing, but all the junk that comes along with it, it's bigger than me. And these aren't my people. These are your people. So I want to do it well. I want to do right by them and right by you. I need an understanding heart. Because again, a prayer of understanding doesn't say, God, make me smarter. It says, God, help me to hear you better. I told you a moment ago, I've had people in my heart who are just overwhelmed for the last few days. I don't know why. But I want to pray a prayer of understanding this morning over every single person in the house. So I want to ask if you would bow your head today. You know, you might have walked into this place and life is pretty free and easy right now. God bless you. <laughs> but I know that I know that I know, especially after first service today, there's people in the house that maybe you've got one huge decision that's on your plate right now. Maybe you got some stuff you're dealing with that feels bigger than you. Or maybe the thing that God has called you to is overwhelming you right now. I want to say it one more time. If God has called you to it, he's going to see you through it. He knows the plans he has for you. But he wants you to seek after his understanding. Father, I pray for every person in the house this morning in Jesus' name, and I ask that you would give them not just your wisdom, not just your knowledge, but you would give them your understanding. God, I speak understanding over people in the house today who have big decisions to make, who don't know what their next move is. Maybe their life feels crowded or shaded by the big trees that are shading over them right now. And I ask, Father, that you would help them to see beyond the circumstances, give them understanding and discernment and clarity so they know what the next step is that they're supposed to take. God, for people who feel so surrounded by circumstances that they become fearful in their walk and in their life right now, I speak wisdom, clarity, and peace over them today in Jesus' name. God, I speak understanding over them today that they would know what you're calling them to do, that they would see the bigger picture, and they would know their next step. And just as the word declares, Father, I speak discernment over people today to know the right path from the wrong path. 
understanding and peace. God, I speak peace over people today in Jesus' name. Satan, you are a liar, and when you try to bring fear into our lives, we recognize it is not from our God. We receive the peace of God in our lives this morning in Jesus' name. We cast out fear. We cast out doubt. We lean into you, Holy Spirit, and we receive your peace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your understanding. We don't want to be smarter. We just want to hear you better because we recognize the end result is wisdom in our lives. In Jesus' name. Finally, with heads bowed and eyes closed, that word peace is just resounding in my heart this morning. Sometimes we walk through difficult seasons where we need momentary peace, but I'll tell you what, there is nothing worse than walking through life not having the peace of Christ at work every single day in my life. Scripture tells us that God loved us so much that he didn't want us to walk through this life without any peace. Instead, he gave us Jesus, his son, the prince of peace to come and redeem us so that we could come back into relationship with God. Scripture makes it so clear that the reason we fall out of relationship with God is because of our sin, our imperfection. But God's not mad at us. God in his love and his grace and his mercy sent Jesus his very best in exchange for our very worst so that we could come back into relationship. If we simply put our faith in what Jesus did for us, Jesus who died on the cross for our sin, Jesus who was raised from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave so that we wouldn't have to face him. It's this Jesus that was God's sign, God's gift to us to show us just how much he loved us. And I wanna ask you today if you have a relationship with God, if you've said yes to Jesus. If you haven't, or maybe you need to come back into relationship, I'm gonna pray a prayer here in just a moment. It's not about magic words. It's simply about wrapping your heart around these words, having words of your own and committing your life to Christ and coming into a relationship with God. I'm gonna pray right now. Would you personalize this right there in your own words? Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe that everything you did on the cross was full payment for my sin. And I believe that I have been forgiven. So today I claim your sacrifice. I put my faith in you and I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Not only that, but I believe God raised you from the dead so that I could have new life as well. And I thank you for all that you have done for me. Today, I surrender lordship to you. Be my Lord, be my savior, and I will follow you from this day forward, all the days of my life, into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now listen, this is the very last thing we're gonna do in service, so hang tight for a minute out of respect for those around you, okay? If you made a decision to follow Jesus, we just wanna help you start your walk with God. We have a little gift we'd love to put in your hand. It's a simple book called The Next Seven Days. There's two different ways that you can get it. As soon as service is over, we're gonna have prayer teams down here near the front of the platform. Just walk up to them, let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus, you wanna get the book. They'll give it to you to win anything from you, but we are here to help in any way that we can. These prayer teams are also here to pray with anybody who's in need. So if you got some, something happening in your life, you want someone to pray for you and agree with you, hey, come pray a prayer of faith with one of our prayer teams. And finally, if you need to go quick, as soon as service is over, just stop by the next seven days desk between the glass doors. Let them know you made that decision to follow Jesus. And they'll give you that book, no strings attached. We just wanna help you start your walk with God. Can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family this morning? Amen. Hey, we love you, Bridge family. Be in church next week with Reggie Dabbs, 9.30 and 11.30. It's gonna be awesome. We love you. God bless you. Have an awesome week.